the last commentary in the trilogy of Armageddon. Um, <clears throat> pretty apt, I think, for me personally that I'm doing this now because see the amount of times I've been tweeted on Twitter, obviously, saying that, you know, and I've made a comment and people will say, like, I, you do know the Huns were liquidated, eh? Like, uh, aye, I do, aye. And, um, you know, you kind of feel like saintly folk, you know. I put up with some heavy duty shit <laughs> seeing this for day one, you know, so. Respect the originality, motherfuckers. <laughs> nah, but the, um, you know, I'm no sure how good or bad people think this content is. Um, I think um, I'm just trying to do whatever I can. I mean, I'm working a hell of a lot of um, hours now, so I'm not really getting the chance to do anything else. I'm not really doing me any podcasts who are just kind of go, oh, well, just as if, you know, as if they're providing entertainment or whatever like that, because I've no, I'm someone who um, isn't looking, you know, I'm no one who's all the time, I'm working all the time, I'm no looking at lockdown parties and listening parties and, you know, here's our 150th podcast of the week type scenarios because I've just not got the time. Um, I also think that, um, because I'm working with people who are suffering from COVID-19, that um, it's it's difficult for me to kind of put any kind of funny bits to it or, or, or kind of laugh it off or anything like that. Um, which unfortunately people are still doing. And, um, you know, I just... I understand people want to put content out and some of that's great, but it's, it's people who are just churning out stuff day after day after day, you know, as if nothing's going on. I'm like, nah, you need to get fucking serious, like, severely serious. Also, <clears throat> on the subject of Armageddon this weekend, I have to say, you know, the Celtic support has been great amongst all this kind of stuff um, since 2012, but I've got to say that the eyes are starting to come off the prize a bit, and, you know, you take an example, like, last night, in the BBC, they put two games, Kilmarnock v Celtic, Rangers v Dunfermline, 2003, right, now, this is at the absolute height of Rangers cheating, and that's no mention, that narrative's not even challenged by anyone, um, and it's something that, um, you know, People always think, like, the, the people who, who like what I did in terms of documentaries and books and all that, they always think that I just get everything on challenge. And I'll tell you, that's absolutely not true. Um, you know, I get so much abuse for other Celtic fans who think that we should just move on for the fact that Rangers were liquidated. We shouldn't be worried about the fact that we were cheated for decades. And that we should all just kind of doff our caps to Peter Lowell through his guidance through this whole thing, and and that really kind of worries me. I I struggle to understand where about Celtic's soul is going to be um, with this because I'm not exactly over the moon with their kind of grubby backdoor deals that they're doing right now with um, it's to call in the league, which I think would be an absolute disaster. For Celtic, pure and simple. I think anybody who wants to call the league at Celtic now needs their head examined, quite frankly, because 
all will take is that to happen and all we'll hear forever and a day is I but, I but, I but every time you mention nine in a row, ten in a row and all the rest of it and if, you know unfortunately it feels like greed and um, selfishness has taken over so in terms of the Armageddon film this was a big part of trying to adjust the narrative again because we'd heard so much stuff in respect of you know what had happened pre-2012 when fans were treated like they had memories of goldfish and stuff like that and it just we wanted to put a few things on record kind of thing and also um, talk about the harassment of the Celtic support up and down the country and then pay tribute to the Invincibles um, I think it's the best film we did just because I knew I think we had um, really got the really got the kind of um, vibe that we needed and we also got great people to talk and emphasise these points and all that and I wanted to get an eclectic mix of people and I'll talk about that during the film and their backgrounds and stuff and why we asked them and stuff like that um, and you know we I feel as though I've always felt like a wee bit of a lone wolf, I think, I guess. And that I didn't think, I think there's certain people who, who, who I know who take this extremely seriously, but I think a lot of people think this is just kind of um, doing stuff for the sake of it, which, you know, it, it was never the case and it was always with the Goody Celtic Football Club. Um, but I think I'm really, really struggling now with that concept to Celtic Football Club, given the people who run it and given that they did not only absolutely nothing about the cheating that went on, but they actually led supporters, including myself, down the garden path of believing that they were doing something, but in reality they weren't. So that's why I think anybody who picks up um, the baton for these kind of things... Um, it has to be applauded. Um, you know, the club's never going to do anything. And it's interesting, I've seen club and oh, we work for such a fantastic club and, you know, great track record. And it's like, you know, I feel, I've never replied, but I feel like saying, you know and I know you're fucking bullshitting. You know what I mean? And their antics through this crisis has just proved that. Um far less their antics when they were supposedly gone after the cheats and in reality were probably colluding with them and that, that is as simple as that um, so as we say we'll take it to Armageddon and um, this was filmed on in 2018 and also um, I should say as well this was when we had the premiere was actually called off for bad weather which was among the worst days of my life um, the weather we had to put back a week and a lot of people just took that opportunity to kick me when I was doing and I never forgot that. Um, some people I've never spoken to since because, you know, when I was in that position of trying to kind of coordinate when I could put this premiere on, having the, the beef the East to contend with, people were just like, but some, not all, I have to say not all, but some people were just like, but what about me? What about me? And that is... The worst sentence in the English language as far as I'm concerned because um, everything, everything is about the big picture in the greater collective. And the people that didn't realise that are probably the ones that are fucking about parks and, you know, um, have no idea what social distancing is and stuff like that. So, 
Um, this is a this is going to be the hardest commentary for me because I know a lot of that kind of memories um, are going to come flooding back, and I have to say that you know the behaviour of Celtic hospitality staff at the time when I wanted to move it a week was an absolute disgrace, and I would never I've never set foot in any of their hospitality like they, well I'll never go to that anyway, but you know what I mean like the Kerry deal and stuff like that because I was putting on gigs there they were making easily ten grand a gig for me. And they, were, they just acted as though like I was nothing. I didn't mean anything. And um, to the point where we had things like um, entertainment booked, and then because there was cancellation, we couldn't get the same entertainment. And they they said they would provide a DJ, and I was like, great. And they said, right, we want three hundred quid now. I'm like, I beg your pardon. Uh, yeah, we need the three hundred quid for the DJ to. Before he plays, and I'm like, I've never known this in my life. We, 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 what you get the money before you do the job, and that's the the kind of and I, you know, I, I lost three grand for that premiere. I was on the bones of my arse, and um, still haven't really recovered for it. That's the truth. And um, they just put that foot in my throat, you know. And for a guy to come along and play, uh, you know, songs through an iPad, fantastic. And um, it was really. Uh, Left a bitter taste in the mouth, and I had a screaming match with the, with the with the guy who runs runs the thing on the day of the gig because then they tried to condense the the gig into half the carry deal. Three hundred people coming, and they wanted to put them you know on one screen and stuff. You know, it was just oh, I mean, you're probably thinking, Christ, I might have got my own fucking problems. Were you still ranting on? I will. So um, anyway, hopefully I'll be a bit more upbeat in the actual commentary. Eh? Okay, welcome to the audio commentary of Armageddon. Um, if you would like to set up uh, Armageddon film from the front of the bus channel on YouTube, um, a couple of seconds to do that. Obviously, the links in the podcast and stuff like that. But um, if you get ready to go now, and we're off. I want to start this film by telling you what it's not about. It's not about Rangers. This wee bit it's we filmed at the end, yeah. Because of the outcry in the media that came when tabloid newspapers basically accused me, in quotes, showing a film about Rangers at Celtic Park, which unfortunately a few morons among the Celtic support took literally and tried to have a go and all that kind of thing. So um, we just wanted to do it. This was stuff that um, Ja sourced, you know, images. Uh, Nuclear tester and that executive producer Paul also great help. Uh, James Riley another fantastic uh, help. Without these people, we, you know, and their help, James Wallace especially would not be able to do anything. Simple as that. Danny Reynolds again, fantastic guy, great help in the film as well. Uh, Maureen McGowan, yes, uh, she was a kind of proxy on behalf of somebody. A nightclub owner in Glasgow, actually. Kind of new signage, Jack come up me. <coughs> and Paul Nutty as well. It's not often a football club dies. We have Kafkin Park in Glasgow. <coughs> 
Well, to make that comparison between Third Lanark and Rangers, just to um, emphasise straight away that the thing they have in common is both of them died. Not far away, a team went to the wall. R.I.P. Third Lanark. I would say that Third Lanark was the same as Accrington Stanley. Trafkin Park was a terrific stadium. The park was huge. Terrasons. The voice of John Fallon there. The great John Fallon, the original Holy Goalie. <coughs> this was filmed in a hotel in Glasgow. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, one, <coughs> I'm thinking it was just before a Sevco game at Celtic Park that we do now know. Um, December 20. 17. You couldn't believe how a good side all of a sudden just fell apart. It just hit them. It was like, hey, who? Rangers. Mm -hmm. They didn't realise how big a hole it was in. Mm -hmm. It's exactly like Rangers. Of course, the difference is that nobody from the establishment in Scottish football that wanted to um, make a fourth lanark, I guess, <laughs> or whatever, you know. You might remember a game in 1994 when David Murray and Rangers decided to ban Celtic fans from Ibrox. The media were happy to put over the spin that was the cause of damage done to seats and all that kind of thing. Mr Murray does not fear a backlash with Celtic refusing to give tickets to Rangers fans. He knows, of course, that the um, jargon doing his uh, post commentary voice. Generated by Rangers supporters. I went to that game. Pretty stupid, to be said. And it was one of the. I did die. It was uh, serial. The main stand that day, in one of the debentures seats at Ibrox, a massive roar went along the stadium, followed by an incredible amount of booing. Initially, I thought it was the Celtic team coming out, but I quickly looked into the tunnel and it wasn't. What it actually was was a plane flying over Ibrox with that fantastic slogan, <laughs> Hail, Hail, the Celtic. Oh, absolutely brilliant. You know, that's to me the essence of Celtic. It's not about money and all that kind of thing, it's about, you know, there isn't people. This is actually one of the few times I'm in my in the last 12, 13 years where I'm beardless. I have no facial hair. Facial hair for me always comes with if I go to in America, I feel like every every male has facial hair and you kinda of feel like you need to grow a beard really quickly. I think Ja bought me that pint of Guinness, it's the only pint I think he's ever bought me. <laughs> Chris is Chris Kajal was always great. He's always, I think he's very forensic with his analysis, and that's always really good. Jackie, we interviewed at York City's training ground at the time. He was the CEO. In New York, I mean, it was boiling hot. And inside it had no air conditioning, and you know Jackie's a pretty cool customer at the best of times. But even he was pretty sweating. Me being slightly bigger, 
was uh, about to pass out. Danny Reynolds, good Tim for Edinburgh. Um, spent a lot of his life in Australia. James Wallace, I mean, there's nothing that man does not know about money. You could have a pound in your hand and James would tell you eight different ways to spend it and then get about three quid back. And that more money especially was 2008. It's been about 30 million quid in the transfer market, knowing full well they were in, you know, the road to liquidation. Look down that list, how many of these people were employed in the Scottish media or in Scottish football? They defrauded the... British taxpayer, they defrauded Scottish football and yet how long does that actually ever get mentioned by anybody? Apart from you know, people like us, me talking and you listening. Mm-hmm. I mean the EBT honours specifically um for the SPFL but it did start before then. It's a good meeting, man. Alan Jose Hibstaff, another kind of forensic economist. Of course it was. It absolutely was. These... This is exactly why we wanted an asterisk, as illustrated there, on them. Again, I think a lot of these clubs put the blue pound before their own success or failure. And that's why they didn't make a big... Stushy about it. They put up red card displays and say no to liquidation, say no to new call, when it was all far too late. It was entitled to stop your fans. Had for the new information event, Elden Egg Menace, Celtic had one not too long afterwards. And I think the reaction from supporters to those things was Hibs, we were like, we knew we were going to get any favours from anybody. Mm-hmm. I think Celtic supporters were exactly the same in 1993-94 which is like nobody else is going to help us we need to do it ourselves that's what supposed to do 
I mean, aye, and when did you see anything like that towards David Murray from their fans? Never. Jack took this footage, I think it's absolutely brilliant. I'm sure my seat's in that shot, I'm sure yours might be too. Mm -hmm. Yep. John Fallon's always so on the money about the attitude we should have as Celtic supporters. Jeanette's always brilliant. <coughs> done this in a flat in Deniston, an Airbnb flat that um, we used our Airbnb a lot because we could put people up there and also, you know, have loads of location films for interviews and stuff like that. Um, so. There's that photograph again. That's in Charlotte Square. In Charlotte Square, as David Murray signs over Rangers, was never meant for public distribution. It was actually a stage ceremony designed to have a kind of formal handing over of the company. But in reality, this was the moment where Rangers' death warrant was signed. David Murray left Rangers in a hell of a state. We had a colossal debt to the Bank of Scotland. We had a colossal debt to HMRC. And they were on the brink of bankruptcy. This was a point to bringing in Craig White to shoulder all that blame. Craig White was put in to put them into administration. It was a mm -hmm. two-year job. And when the heat cleaned, when all debts were gone, and then there would be a completely debt-free company, Absolutely, 100% that was what was meant to happen.
Um, the fact that Rangers resulted for a pound probably made that a lot easier. There is a lot of hero worship for Craig White amongst the Celtic support and other supporters too, primarily because he helped sink Rangers. But the reality is, he is the con man's con man. Derek Warfield singing, I met him in Vegas. It was incredible, he just approached me and so he'd heard me talking and said I was really blown away with you talking. I was I said, you're blown away, I've been listening to you my whole life. We were actually doing a podcast uh, with the homeboys, myself, David Harper, Joe McKenna and Jason Higgins. And it felt like at those times we were the centre of the universe. In the Celtic world, he was awakening to the fact that Rangers were going out of business. And to be able to commentate live with your comrades about this were incredible times. Good evening and welcome to uh, the Homeboys Live Party Show. Some forties, eh, man. I'm doing uh, Australia, not for you. Big Steph. That was take, um, audio taken from the Inverness game at um, up at Inverness. I think it was in the cup. We were up there and just recorded it. Incredible. I mean, that's what podcasting is all about. It is, and I think podcasting, I mean, I, podcasting yeah. should be like the Wild West, you know. It should be, I'm going to say things that I can't say in other places because they'll not allow me and all that kind of thing. Instead, I think quite a lot it's becoming really sanitised, and I still think there's a. The podcast I'm doing, you know, when I was talking to people who are kind of innovators and all that, that's what I was going to bring, try and bring back, get people to say things and have opinions and ideas and creativity and all that, not just churn out the same stuff over and over again, you know? There had to be a patsy, and that was Craig White. But Craig White was willing to take that risk and be that patsy because he knew he'd make money, because that's what he does. He asset strips companies and then he moves on to the next one, and that's exactly what he done with Rangers. Project Charlotte was a plan to liquidate Rangers. In effect, what this was, was the key roles that people would play in the liquidation of Rangers. And the key players in this were Craig White, Gary Whitty, and Duffin Phelps. Remember, Duffin Phelps had not even been appointed the administrators, yet they were part of the plan as far back yeah. as September. That's all the time White was worried. So despite what people tell you, he knew about administration mm -hmm. way in advance of announcing it. He knew who his administrators would be way in advance to go to court to get them appointed. And that's important because that's the only time Craig White was ever worried in this. Maybe I should listen to what I say on this rather than telling you and then it gets repeated. Eh? <laughs> appointed as his administrators. As suddenly as it began, the Craig White era ended with an administration auction organised by Duffin Phelps in May 2012. Charles Green agreed to buy the club for £8.5 million. <laughs> you forget about these casty characters. I mean, Charles Green went around um, the six counties in Ireland uh, bodyguarded by the UDA to skim all their money. He, he said he wouldn't be leaving Ibrox until he heard the Champions League music. Um, uh, you know, he's just another... Con man, basically. 
five-way agreement. Hours after liquidation in June 2012, Charles Green said Scotland Limited completed their purchase of the business and assets of Rangers FC. It's not a case that Rangers survived liquidation. There's no such thing. Um, the, the Rangers that was founded in 1872, incorporated in 1899. Um, the minute they incorporated, they got out of the club company became one and the same. So when the company went under in 2012, so did Rangers. <laughs> From the Wizard of Oz. Charles Green and Sebco were quick to capitalise on their new business acquisition. They spot an opportunity to go, right, there is still value within the Rangers brand and within Rangers inverted colours football club. We bought the <laughs> basket of assets for five months five months time. Immediately we valued them. Back up to the twenty seven twenty eight million pounds. Therefore, instantly making a profit. The question now was... What we uh, filmed this one Saturday morning. Um, I've got to say we were playing Hibs at Celtic Park that day. I think we were. Anyway, I had... Um, aye, it was a game where McGregor scored two, McGinn scored two for Hibs. I had absolutely chronic toothache. I was in the middle of root canal surgery. No, literally, obviously. I had to go three different visits. And I remember, Jack, you're not doing anything yourself. If you felt like you had a drill in the middle of your head, you'd be doing anything yourself either, you know? People always say, why would Stuart Regan and Neil Doncaster Two guys with no affiliation in Scottish football go through all this stress and all that. And the answer is simple. Money and status. Where else would they get the money and status they got in Scottish football? Strange character. There was a meeting organised at Celtic Park with him and some so-called prominent Celtic fans, of which I was supposed to be party. Then I was deliberately excluded for it because I think I was the only one who would actually have some evidence I could put in front of him and say, "What about this?" Um, so him, they had it with him and Rod McKenzie and got nowhere. So. This is exactly the plan that they put forward and was the beginning of their so-called Armageddon. Rangers are a huge institution in Scottish football history and they are where they are. But without Rangers, there is social unrest and a big problem... I think that's true. I think there would be... I think you want to get a look at their fan base and the, the kind of stuff that you know, people like me and you probably yourself have been facing over the years. Um, that it would be social unrest without them. But ultimately, far better for Scottish society than what they've been in it currently is, you know. 
and whichever way you look at it, it's not a healthy future for the game. This is about fundamental change, as without that change in the game, we are going to carry on as we are. The game is broken at the moment, and we have to fix it and put foundations in And that's the thing. The game was not broken. It was Rangers that were broken. Five clubs would be bankrupt in the first three months. And that Celtic in particular would suffer. Because that's what Armageddon was all about. It was about Neil Doncaster and Stuart Regan telling Celtic supporters, because Rangers have died, you're going to die as well. They weren't promoting the game. They weren't trying to look after the game. They were trying to look after one club. Perhaps if they'd governed the game properly and actually been looking into these things, it wouldn't have happened in the first place. It was like their responsibility is who it was to turn around and be governed the game. And they allowed that situation to happen. That's not their place to tell us we need to bow to any rule that they want to break or make. You know, the rules are there, that's the way it is. The SFA would have to have the backing of the, the clubs. The, the clubs were treated, right? Um, to expect uh, the clubs to come back and agree to the, the, the rantings and ravings of Stuart Reagan isn't realistic. What I always find funny about Danny Reynolds is Danny Reynolds um, comes from Bingham in Edinburgh, which is very much like Muros, where I come from. And it's a rough and ready working class area. And I really wanted him in this because he had an authentic kind of working class voice. And then I seen him on this. So I wasn't there when he was interviewed. He was interviewed in Liverpool. He's, he's got his best voice on, his best posh voice. <laughs> but it's normally be like, here do you you know, but the rest of Scottish football, and particularly the football authorities, that they were not going to stand for this. That there would be no new co parachuted into the Scottish Premier League, the Championship. I think I was about nine chins here at the time. Probably still have. The first game Sevco ever played was against Brecon at Glee Park in July 2012. They played that game under the name Sevco Scotland Limited. Not the Rangers International Football Club, which they became, but Sevco Scotland Limited. They had to set in motion a transfer of undertakings for protection of employment or tube in order to register their players over to a new company. The ones that didn't jump ship anyway. We need easy, eh? They started life. Because of kind of people always had this boy next door thing about him, but it couldn't be further for the truth. Because they were a new club, because they were an entirely new club, they could have transferred, they could have transferred over, but they can also walk away. But their contracts are no longer valid because that club no longer exists. It was fantastic to see. Quite broadly. This was in the West End of Glasgow, another Airbnb, very close to where the old SFA was at Park Gardens. Exactly how to get them on side. He was 
telling people about his big Yorkshire hands that he had all this money that he would put into the club and he would get the fans money and get things. I remember Richard Swan when the car looked Shamrock used to do a good impression of Charles Green before he disappeared off the face of the planet. That's Richard, no Charles. Charles Green told the Safeco fans that he would not believe in Ibrox until he heard the Champions League music over Ibrox. Well, the only chance of that happening was if Celtic turned up the PA. It's always spine chill in that moment at Celtic Park. Yeah. Oh, you're super early. McCoy's part in the new call was, was very, very interesting. He's always had that cheeky, chappy image in Scottish football, but as people have got to know him and know... People forget that image died. It was... Um, Alan McCoy said legitimised Charles Green, told all them to buy season tickets. Oh, fucking I've done it again, sorry. Repeating. But when the institutional investors were approached, Alan McCoy's role was very, very pivotal. His wages had went down as he signed on and shipped over to the Newco. So they framed a three month period of Newco, which made it look as though Alan McCoy's wages were a very paltry 200 grand a year. But in reality, that was only a sample of three months. He had taken a wage cut with the new core. But as soon as the institutional investors started to put money in, the first thing Alan McCoyce did was demand that his salary went back to what it was. And that salary was, at that time, for a manager in the Scottish third division, or in the Scottish second division, as they call it now, the highest paid manager in Scotland at 872 grand a year. Good old Alan. Staggering, eh? If he was the true Rangers man, I mean, he'd be making out to be, you'd expect that the, he would have wanted to have the money in the club as much as possible, but, well, maybe that says a lot more about how <laughs> choice being a true Rangers man than anything else did. Never want to miss a photo, oh, photo opportunity. Clubs, it was a bit like a circus coming to town. People were interested for the new aspect to it and the curiosity aspect of it. Surely the worst moment in Safeco history. Kevin Kyle playing for them. Unrecognisable from the old core. The fans were still the same. They weren't going to take this opportunity as a new club to eradicate that sectarian element, to try and eradicate all that triumphalism and entitlement and try and create a new identity. They needed that identity on board for the new core to succeed. Why didn't they go back to starting afresh and, and learn their lessons and, and go for the, I don't know, the son of the gallant pioneers that like to call themselves and all that, you know? Did, did they think they <laughs> I remember that always reminds me of uh, David Leggett, Lego, who was always going on about the gallant pioneers, you know? I'd say something about Lego. The one thing, he's absolutely unhinged, obviously, but the one thing he always got right was about Graham Spears. He is an odious creep. I mean, I think it absolutely is. I mean, I'm, you know, one of the things that was always quoted, you know, for, for many years, and you see it every now and again, is what Ian Archer said in the 70s about them, that about Scottish society would be a better place if Rangers didn't exist. And um, I think it would. I mean, I think 
you know, obviously that Rangers doesn't exist anymore. But that when that Rangers existed and had that, you know, policy of apartheid at Ibrox, you know, how many people were because the SFA done zero about that? How many people thought it was all right to be anti-Catholic and, and, and a bigot and all that kind of thing? And that kind of prevailed all over Scottish society. And that's, you know, horrendous, you know. It's... Um, I mean, I, you know, travelling around America and that, and I look at the, the, the kind of states that, that um, kind of uh, had practised Jim Crow law and all that kind of thing, segregation and stuff, have essentially went back on it and built museums and all that so that these kind of things would never happen again. In Scotland, what we do is ignore it. You know, we our so-called pundits just ignore it. They just kind of pretend that it never happened or doesn't happen. And um, that's why people like me, for example, I mean, I've been on a few... I mean, the only one I'd go on is BBC Scotland because it's a, you know, public-funded thing. But, you know, every time I go in there and they say, like, they don't want you to say this and that, like, I'm not interested in that shit, you know, just people to tell the truth, keep it real. Celtic won the league and cup. Meanwhile, <laughs> in the I think he was in with an ingrown toenail or something in the hospital. Remember Jim White? I mean, that just shows you, like, you know, Jim White got to hospital when I interviewed him. It's amazing how much of a thorn he's been in their side in the last 20 years, it really is. And what he's put up with and the fact that he's still here and still on top, it's, it's a testament to whatever you think of the guy. It's a testament to his character, like, it really is. Um, remember that game, 4 3. Tony Watt, who knew that he would be the top man in the online gaming community now? Eh? <laughs> I think he's a good guy.
we saw live and live on television and him being assaulted at Tynecastle, only for the guy to face no real consequence for it whatsoever. He had bombs, same term, bullets, same term at Celtic Park. Somebody tried to murder him. This is something again that's been swept under the carpet by Scottish football and Scottish society. The fact that Celtic manager Neil Lennon somebody tried to attempt to murder them. I mean that's you know by sending them bombs to Celtic Park. Neil Lennon took a kind of lead from Gordon Strachan, who would obviously come into Celtic as a coach there. Strachan believed there was a kind of lifespan for a Celtic manager of about four or five years. So when Neil Lennon decided he'd had enough, I wasn't really surprised, especially given that Neil Lennon had been through in, in some of those years. But I think Neil Lennon may have stepped away at the right time for him. I just love Neil Lennon. I love him. I love, I love everything that he's about. But he's a Celtic man. That's it. I was sad to see him go, but you kind of you knew for him it was his time to go. I mean, all the, the things that were happening personally with him. It couldn't have been a good place. I mean, that's a lot to have on your shoulders as well as like managing the, the biggest club in Scotland. It's important to remember Neil Lennon's contribution to the league on their own right now. I think it is. I think it's, you know, obviously we didn't know that he's going to come back at this point, but um, it would be nice to see him, you know, obviously start the 10 in a row and end it. Now that was funny, I must admit. Ali McCoyst imploded and was placed on gardening leave and then replaced by Stuart McCall. To watch him fail was great. Like, I'm not going to lie, to watch Ali McCoyst fail at his club. I mean, honestly, I, I watched that man rub it into us for years, so I take huge amounts of pleasure from any failure that he has. Yeah. And now he's gone. <laughs> Still need trophies. Remember that fifty million, thirty million, all this kind of stuff. What happened to that? Oh Christ, I've done that again. This is becoming a recurring team. Andrew Dixon, Stuart Robertson. Which is that's what it was all about. So he gave Murray twenty million quid. Um, 
people say it was to launder it, I don't know. And uh, Murray basically, you know, welched it away. So King tried to get that back off him because despite what you'll tell you, he isn't meant to by any stretch of imagination. And um, that was his whole point in coming back to Scotland and raising a profile so he could try and get that money back, which is um, probably about the same as trying to get 20 million quid for me. No chance. How that's haunted him, that phrase, the glib and shameless liar. Unfortunately, the Scottish media never quite picked up on it. That's the key. How come he was fit? He was passed as a fit and proper person by the SFA. This is the fans just talking about, and he's absolutely right. You know, it's. Um, I mean, I, I don't think we're wrong. I can't be bored with the, the banter. Oh, I can't see them coming. You know, it was funny for about two weeks, but, you know, this is with their whole thing that they were coming and all this kind of thing, and they kind of, you know, it's hard enough for us to get Peter Law to spend any money. Where they will spend money is when he thinks they are. Um, and Dermot Desmond as well is when he thinks they are getting our backs up and I should say as well actually one of the myths that's went around kind of propagated by Phil McGillibon um, whatever his name is the you know the, the Safeco um, board were all jumping about mad next to the Celtic board uh, when they beat us in the semi-final absolute nonsense right that just didn't happen and the reason I know it didn't happen is because I and others asked every person at a meeting who was there that day, did this happen? And they said unequivocally no, we weren't even anywhere near them. So, you know, but again, it's one of the things, it's a good story, but ultimately, like, look at what Phil says, not true. Talking about Ronnie Dyla, I mean, Ronnie Dyla, nice guy, met him a few times, but was so far out of his depth for the Celtic manager, and ultimately, you know, took to the old uh, Dunleavy and uh, to, to, to cope with it and that. But as we're clear, what Claire says is right, and I've said that a few times myself, that he will be part of the 10 in a row, and we'll never forget that, obviously. I think also Ronnie's one of these managers that you know had he had his system, and I just think anybody who's got a system, you're never going to succeed in football. You've got to do a system that with the players you've got, and if the players don't fit in that system, you have to change the system. 
Because you can't change the players overnight. Was when Dave King told us that because Sevco won me in the league, the titles we won were tainted. So I ask you, the viewer, a question. Which set of titles do you think are tainted? The ones that we won fairly and squarely? Or the ones that Rangers won that were gained illegally by cheating? Fairly self-explanatory. I mean, I remember my first real dealings with this act was at, up at Pitodry in 2012. Because um, bear in mind I'd been living in America at the start yeah, And it was like Going into an airport in Lebanon or something Going into Pataudry And I was like What the fuck is going on here Like you know And I actually remember talking to Simon Donnelly about it that night And he said Jink we're being punished for the demise of Rangers And to me that was the essence of the whole thing that and I kind of, because they, we knew that the, the songs and stuff that they'd done were sectarian and that, they tried to, in quotes, level it up by criminalising Irish Republican songs and criminalising Celtic supporters, um, which, again, kind of doesn't really add weight to anything about Irish Republicanism in the sense that the whole point was... Things like the hunger strikes and that was to 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 no criminalise, no allow them to criminalise the struggle, and um, so again you're not really gonna. But having said that, I think if I've got a big criticism of the SNP, one the one biggest criticism is that I don't think they relate the people that they um, have. In the party, MPs and higher, I don't think they relate to the people in the street. I really don't. Um, no, like the kind of old Labour Party used to. Um, to treat a particular chant or something as offensive, and the person who's being offended doesn't have to be there, or indeed ever know about it. And in an actual fact, uh, if you look back at the numbers as we do, and we monitor them over the years, quite often the victims are police officers. Police know that if you want to target somebody, if somebody's annoying you, if you don't like somebody, and you kind of get them for any legitimate reason, just say what they did was offensive. The fiscal will not back away from that. I mean, this. Is, I talk talk about this thing about offensive. I mean, I think this is. What's offensive to you might not might be completely inoffensive to me. And that's it, really. You know, so who who's who has anyone to define what's offensive and what's not? I don't know why. It's bizarre because when all is said and done, this is a group of football supporters. They're not some crazy cell of uh, you know people trying to take over the state or anything. Or the other. How dare you, Jenny? That's exactly what we are. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's completely right what Jenny says. Um, I mean, the thing about that is, I mean, you know, the the, the Green Brigade stand for everything that I think they are bastions of the Scottish establishment hate, and I include members of the Celtic board in that, I have to say. Um, and therefore, 
I think initially there was just a case of like, like stamping them out before they get bigger and unfortunately for them that was not the case they, they were bigger and better than that and you know you, I don't think anybody will ever agree with everything they do I certainly don't I mean you know like I didn't like when they criticised Dedrick Boyata you know and then because it was obvious Dedrick Boyata wanted to leave because Brendan Rodgers I didn't mean he wanted to leave having told Dedrick Boyata that um, he was staying you know anyway but that's just a wee and Kenny McCaskill yeah I mean he's another one like it just it drives me fucking mental when he's like apart from the fact you know like he was arrested being pissed at Wembley Scotland but like Christ okay fine I'm not going to jump on my high horse about that for Christ's sake a Scotland fan getting pissed at Wembley uh, but you know, this is a guy who now writes books about radical socialism and all that kind of thing, and you just think, how can you separate that as a politician? You know, it just it, that just drives me mad. It's like I saw a thing recently with Edwin Curry on some pilgrimage, you know, and talking about faith and humanity and all that. I think you implemented the bloody poll tax. Cheeky preach to me about humanity. Aye. Uh, anyway, that's just me ranting and raving. I didn't get a chance to do that and read anyway. The job I'm in. So, um, I was a support worker and then I went into the. I became a care assistant. You just kind of end up being sort of immersed in that job, you know what I mean? So I didn't have opportunities to shoot and ball. And also, I think through the coronavirus, you start to think about life and death a lot, unfortunately. That doesn't mean to say I'm going to be like, I mean, you know, we have got a new film in the ether. Obviously, we don't know what's happening now. Um, bringing myself and Ja back. Uh, I'll not reveal the title or anything like that, but because um, I want to get the people in place first, um, which is something that I'm going to start doing well, on Friday, actually, hopefully. And um, just to say, like, this is what we want to do, blah, blah, blah. But um, yeah, it's um, trying to get independent films. Go on. Yeah, the court case. This was the where they pulled the ban way off the forty towers. I know nothing thing. Craig Whitey, Craig White, as we know, Craig White, Craig White, as we all know, was not guilty. Cool customer. I read a deposition he done once to about his divorce and. One of the questions that was asked to him was, would you feel safe walking around the streets of Glasgow? And this is after Rangers have been liquidated. Would you feel safe walking around the streets of Glasgow? He said, ah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, Jesus Christ, man, ballsy steel. What do you hear that? You, to look at Murray as well, I'll tell you, this is a man who's been kind of pruned and primed and all the rest of it for years and it was noticeable in these photos and stuff like that that he was very, he wasn't looking good at all. Especially that photo where, you know, with Craig White and stuff, you could see, you know, the hair's been dyed and all that, yeah. Um, and it was clearly the strain was getting to him. I mean, I think Ronnie had to go. Um, the football was absolutely dire. The game against Ross County at home near the end of his tenure. 
I was actually meant to go to Ireland because it was the, I think it was the 24th of April, you know, it was the, the 16th, I've been in Ireland for Easter. I was going to go back and I decided now I'll just go to the game. What a mistake that was. That is footage I take. I took. Young Jack. Brilliant. Home and away. Guy. Europe, you name it. Again, try to get an eclectic mix of people, you know, ends of the spectrum, age, sex, you know, creed, colour, you name it. Just for different opinions, different angles, different points of view, you know. I'm sure that girl is standing next to the boy with a mic. Oh, you know, it's that. Oh, I know who it is. It's the girl who used to be on the Celtic TV. It's with Craig Gordon now, who's Nina Escapes with. Mm-hmm. It's true, Rogers family. I mean, I think if we take away the negative connotations of Brendan Rodgers towards the end of his tether, the, the levels and the standards of professionalism we brought to that club were incredible. And it's interesting what Jack says here about turn Celtic about. We've just won X amount of leagues, um, five leagues in a row at that point, but the football wasn't great. The feeling wasn't great and we needed a boost and, and, and Jesus Christ did we get it. There's Naz, a good friend of mine. Um, good Celtic supporter. One thing I would say though, I remember Brend, um, Chris Sutton saying that Brendan Rodgers had brainwashed Celtic fans and I was probably like that in the sense of the European games and we were getting absolutely gubbed but he was telling us, you know, oh, we've got to play the Celtic way and all that kind of thing and and I was as much brainwashed as anybody but even I was thinking, really, we go to Barcelona and open up, PSG and open up, you know, this these clubs are on a different stratosphere. I mean, I think ultimately you'll always be crucified for the way he left. And if he just left at the end of the season, I think he'd be held in much higher esteem. And I understand the reasons why he left because, and they'll probably never come out as long as this regime's in charge. But um, 
and he has to take the blame for it as much as they do as well, obviously. But um, some of the, I mean, the Invincible season was just unbelievable. I mean, you know, every week I was tweeting after a game, you know, the Invincibles march on. The more I was doing it, I was like, now I've got, I'm going to look like a right dick if we get beat, um, or even maybe a right dick than normal. Um, that game, um, was incredible. Scott Sinclair just come in, got the winner. I mean, I'd say the standards they trade in, the standards the professionalism, the things that were expected of players. They're said now that's the same house that Jeanette was in and Joe was in, uh, but just different locations within the house. And Dennis, and this was after we beat Hearts four one, the first game of the season after the Invisible season. Said at that point was still very much professional. He done. I think now when you tweet to him, I think I done him on this show. He's a bit more loose and a bit more open because he's kind of made away for the game now. It still works at Celtic, but has got about a million other in the, uh, um, business going. He's a bit like Arthur Daly now, you know, without the trolley. And I guess that's our job. We trying is to try and extract the information to people in the best way that we can. And I normally leave that to Jab because he's got tons of experience to me, but also he's got to be the one ultimately that's editing the film and he kind of knows what he wants and it's better if he does it. I mean, I'll give him pointers to ask obviously certain questions and that, but... Joey Barton, eh? What would happened to him? Could you imagine Bobby Murdoch and Baby Hay playing midfield <laughs> against some of these hard men? Hey. One of the uh, questions I've asked a lot of you guys like Roger Hamm about how good Bobby Murdoch was. Remember seeing a quote for Helenio Herrera and at Milan manager saying Bobby Murdoch was a papa of the Celtic team. And um, I remember asking Tam Donnelly once actually. Would you be comparing something like Paul Scholes? And he just looked at me and said, Paul Scholes? He said, he couldn't release Bobby's boots. So. Could you forget that so quick? It's only three years ago, the 50th anniversary of Lisbon. And this is what football's all about. All about, you know. Hamden, the son, beating the Huns and singing and... You know. You can't enjoy that, you can't enjoy anything as far as I'm concerned, you know. Probably the first time that I even thought about going undefeated in the league. 
What a day that was. I was here with my son James and we'll pick her up my other son James, eh, Jake, for the airport that night and it was just brilliant. Uh, James Wallace was with us and he mooted, lost half his glasses <laughs> and he had the half still on his face like, you know, <laughs> just seen him walking out. That was also when uh, we got a taxi to the game for the city centre of Glasgow that day and the taxi driver recognised me and tried to drive me to the Huns end. Swear to God, and screaming and ranting and raving at me. We were all like, What the fuck is going on? We're even paying attention to him. And it was only when I spotted to hear, Mate, you're going the wrong way. I, I fucking know where I'm going. You shut your mouth, you fucking bastard. Oh, for fuck's sake. Only in Glasgow. I watched this in Sean Fitzgerald's who's in Melbourne in the, um, the middle of the night because I was on tour see Musa almost got the ball there oh good night but I love that wee dink look at that brilliant what a player he was honestly what a player. imagine him and them um Edward up front together now. Christ almighty. You need to give teams three goals at start to have a competitive league. Whoa, 5-1 at Ibrox. Does it get any better? No. And the events that were going on, so every day there was something Celtic was going on, there was an event, there was something in the news, there was some kind of announcement that Celtic. I mean, I think Jack, what Jack sees, there's spot on about getting a bit nervy towards the end because you're starting to think. You know, we've got to do this. I mean, I mean, you know, I'm I'm very pessimistic in terms of when we'll ever see football again properly because I think we'll know even people assume, oh, we'll just flick the switch, football will be back over, everybody will be there. It's like the social distancing has got to be in place for a long time. So when you see these, like this game at Fur Hill and all the flags and all that, it's, you know, it makes you, you know, what, what we had and what we miss and what it's all about. And, you know, I've been to CL supporter my whole life. You know, I've been it's too, my first game in nineteen seventy eight, and you know, forty two year later, I mean, it's been part of my life, and it's caused me a lot of heartache over the recent years in the terms of behind the scenes because the club did make me and have made me a pariah, but the team is what it's all about and winning football matches and playing sweet great goals and all that and standing up for the cause. You know, I mean, that's uh, how the game gets. You know, I was a bit surprised at this game. You know, were the fans, like, I thought I was expecting a pitch invasion or something. Getting like, everybody's just kind of like, oh, brilliant, we've done it. And I'm like, fucking hell, man, we've just went the whole week season undefeated. 
but of course I think the bigger picture was still coming and that was uh, Hamden I didn't put, I never buy programmes or that. I just didn't. I love looking at the old programmes, but I just can't be bothered with the new ones. Like. I like that attitude for Jackie. You'll never get a bigger Celtic man than John Fallon. Just, just, just a god, an absolute god. You'll see soon where I was sitting, the angle I had. Carrie was brilliant. Carrie was really nervous. Um, but you know, wanted somebody like her demographic type thing. Um, and once she got gone. She was brilliant. That's the angle I had. I was up near the Aberdeen fans because there was some not mess up with my son's ticket, and so we had to get one there. And it was fine. It was actually maybe even better because I was looking at the Celtic supporter. I mean, I was among Celtic supporters, but I was looking at the main Celtic end and all that as the things was going on, and it felt different. It felt a wee bit more relaxing. You weren't there amongst all the tension because a lot of the people around me probably were just there for day trippers and stuff like that. Um, not that it was expensive seats or anything. I think they were just seats that Aberdeen had sent back um, towards their end, you know. <laughs> I think John Fallon's the only guy in the, in the world that was feeling like that at the time. Oh, I was thinking it was McInnes. Celebrating. I think I'm going to say that again. Sorry, I keep repeating myself. See, Carrie's so real and sincere. She's brilliant at commentating on these things. I thought that was it. I must admit, when they done that, I thought, God, that's it. We're blown it. Scott Sinclair had a 
Habit of doing things like that. When Tom Wojcik picked up that ball and started to move and jink the way he does with the magnetic feet he has, you start physically rising in your seat and you start moving closer to the edge of it. And all the while you're in the moment, you're captured in that moment. And then as he just takes that one stride right, you're thinking, he's made space here. That was, that was about it, the last chance, let's, let's go for this, let's do this. And you could see it coming. You could, you could actually see it coming and everyone round about you could see it coming. Phil, I was right behind him, the goals, and I seen him get the ball and coming, and I went, and he drifted to the right, and I was saying, no, no, come on, let's square it. I was actually looking for the, the options he had as he was going forward, and I'm looking for players running off him, and he kept moving, and he was moving away, and I thought, well, he's not going in the right direction. And he, he ran through a, a good couple of players Incredible. into the box. And then before <laughs> John, brilliant. I mean, this is why we love football. And I've got to say, got trained back from Kings Park, I think, after the game. And there was a lot of Aberdeen fans in them, and every, on it, and every single one of them were like, well done, incredible achievement, which I thought was really big of them. I've always had a love-hate relationship with Aberdeen fans because I grew up in the 80s, the biggest rival and stuff like that. And some of the songs I sing at Celtic Park are, you know, pathetic. But, you know, genuine real football fans have that affinity. They know the ups and downs of football. And I like that kind of respect. people in tears. There was men, women, children genuinely in tears that day because we'd done it. We'd actually done it. We'd done a domestic treble without getting beat. I mean, Jack says that, you know, a domestic treble without getting beat. I mean, how do you... It's just unbelievable. My old man there in the usual Duncan State. There he is, looking dapper. Archie Wright, love him. Charlie Ainsley, love him. And I got lost. And I could feel the tears on my face for a good three minutes until someone tapped me on the shoulder and said, you're right, big man. And I kind of snapped to it and said, aye. And then I realised where I was and kind of went to sort of turn to my son and say, you know, enjoy this, appreciate it. You know, it's not always like this. And he was just staring the same way I was in the moment. I thought I didn't see a word. He understands it. And that's to me what the Invincible Travel was for. It was for everybody who supported that football club through thick and thin. They can be here to share that moment, not just in the pitch or in the stadium, but around the world, watching on TVs, getting up, 
three, four, five, six, seven in the morning every week to watch that football club. That invincible trailer was for you. Went to the screen in Nairn in the little theatre in Nairn, the cinema, and the film stopped at that point because they put it on for a certain amount of time rather than just letting it go for some reason. So everybody thought it was the end, they're all cheering, and I'm looking at people going, It's not finished. <laughs> None of the flags are my flags, by the way. Raw jazz, believe it or not. When Stuart Reagan done his fire and brimstone Armageddon speech, he was talking to you and me, and he was telling you and me that our club was next, overlooking the fact that there was Armageddon that was just for one club. I really need to lose weight for the next film. Is that five years after he told you you were next and Armageddon was coming, you were invincible, we were invincible. Cheers. Told you it was a magic thing. This was my idea at the end. Take all the credit for. <laughs> so we need to be aware of it now because it's a trilogy of films. <laughs> I always got a big cheer. And there we go, finished. Ah, I still think it's uh, the best film we did. And I um, hope you enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed ranting, raving, laughs, cries, smiles, you know, that's what it's all about. Realism. And everybody that was in it was brilliant, absolutely brilliant, picked the right people. And uh, so, hope you enjoyed it and uh, hope you're enjoying Easter as best as you can. Hopefully I'll come up with some new content soon. Beware the resin people.